Sequel Quest, episode 68, a sequel chat movie review of The Black Panther. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. seen Black Panther as all of you did apparently because it opened to 235 million dollars this weekend and climbing as of recording so let's go around the horn here with Colton and Adam as we do our sequel chat let's kick tonight off with a brief synopsis it's not very spoiler heavy here off the start but we will get deep into spoilers because it deserves to be seen and debated. Absolutely, Bare yeah. Yes. Bare minimum. All right, so after the events of Captain America's Civil War, King T'Challa returns home to the reclusive, technologically advanced African nation of Wakanda to serve as his country's new leader. However, T'Challa soon finds that he is challenged for the throne via ritual combat from factions within his own country. When two foes conspire to destroy and bring Wakanda out of the shadows, the hero known as the Black Panther must team up with CIA agent Everett K. Ross and members of the Dora Milaje and the War Dogs to prevent Wakanda from being dragged into an all-out world war. Pretty dramatic. The stakes are high. Now, I'm curious for you guys, because there was a lot of hype leading up to this film. I think we can't get into this without talking about our thoughts on his debut in Civil War. And I knew that most people walked out of that excited for Tom Holland's Spider-Man movie. Oh, new Spider-Man. It's great. Awesome. But for me, it was the first time I actually cared about the Black Panther character and I could not wait for his movie to come out. You know, it was like Thor Ragnarok and he heard my thoughts on that. <laughs> Pushed it aside. I'm just like, please get to February. Bring me Black Panther. Where were you guys with that buildup? Bring me Black Panther and get this man a shield. <laughs> now you're jumping ahead. <laughs> Um, going into this, I really, like, I had brief ideas of the plot, but I kind of went in clean slate. Compared to all the other movies that I go and see that are Marvel, I went in pretty clear that I didn't know exactly how this was going to play out, and I thoroughly enjoyed how it played out the first time. I went back the next night. <laughs> Did you have a history with the Black Panther character at all leading up to that? Had you... Because usually you read the comics, you kind of do a deep dive, but you didn't do any of that for this? No, no, because okay. I didn't have a real idea as to what storyline they were going to go with. Like, I've seen 
Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes, the old cartoon that was like the best of the the Avengers cartoons out there. If you can find that one, watch it. It's two seasons long. Excellent. Uh, is is that from around two thousand eight? Ish. Okay. Yeah. They yeah. had they had to cancel it because Disney Not the bought Marvel one. and wanted to re reboot a lot of right. stuff. Right. And if you're lucky, it was in the Walmart five dollar bids, now three dollars <laughs> seventy four cent bids. So you might find it somewhere. <laughs> well, I might have to start digging because that yeah. that's the one I liked. Um, then mm. there was the other two, I guess, miniature movies, animated movies they did around the same time, where they dove into Claw and the chain of succession and all the little details. But beyond that, I, I haven't really done too deep of a dive beyond like the Illuminati comics. And then he was king of the dead in the necropolis. And yeah, <laughs> that, all, all sorts all of interesting stuff. Yeah. Now, Colton, I know you play a lot of like comic book based video games and things like that. Did Black Panther ever pop up for you? You, you read my mind. I was going to bring that up. Exactly. I own Marvel Ultimate Alliance and Marvel Ultimate Alliance 2. As do I. Yeah. And you get to play as Black Panther if you wish. And in the second game, you actually are required to go visit Wakanda. Mm. So that was pretty much the depth of my knowledge concerning Black Panther. I did not do a deep dive. I did not research comic books or go into Killmonger or any of that stuff. I went in with a largely clean slate, other than what I'd been casually exposed to uh, through playing that game. And I feel like my investment was simply, we got a great director, Ryan Coogler, who has more than proven himself with Fruitvale Station and Creed. And then there's Michael B. Jordan, who I will stand by this. He's one of the best actors of our generation, and he's just getting started, and I'm excited to see where he's going to yeah. go. So knowing that alone, I was fine with going into this film knowing nothing and having decent expectations and i've seen the film twice already my first time i was a little bit lackluster in my response because the first hour i felt dragged a little bit but then i went back a few days later and i saw it again and that first hour even though i still would have sent it to the editing room to trim some stuff a little bit because it was a little bit of fluff mostly some of the action sequences i thought had these really quick cuts to them while the sequences went on for too long, which is kind of a Michael Bay, Tony Scott, rest in peace, sort of thing to do. And, and, and that, that irked me a little bit. It bothered me less during the second go-around. The second half of the movie, the final hour, from the moment that Killmonger drops Claw's corpse at the doorstep of a Wakanda, that's when the film becomes nonstop awesome for me. All the way to the end, through the post credit scenes, which we'll get to later. That was my takeaway is that uh, the film actually got better for me on the second viewing, which doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. Well, let me ask you guys this. Were you surprised that it was a February release? You know, because given the quality of films that usually come out at the beginning of the year, do you think it's just Marvel's way of saying, look, we could win the box office anytime? Okay, Adam, mm -hmm. seriously, you're asking this question. Also, remember that this is the weekend right after Valentine's Day and two years ago, Deadpool proved. You could do and that. And Kingsman did mm -hmm. the same. So February, it's pretty much gotten to the point to where it doesn't matter when you debut a film in the calendar Unless year. Unless it's January. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when, when's the last great movie you saw that was released okay, top to bottom in when January? When was the last good movie released in January? Kung Fu Panda 3? Yeah. <laughs> so, I haven't even seen that. I, I, so I that's the thing. Like, all these studios are thinking, oh, we've, we've always had the summer blockbuster, summer, summer, summer. And summer's slowly grown. Marvel has expanded summer to include the first weekend of May. Sometimes the last weekend uh, of Mar or 
I thought the Mummy Returns made it so that all of May was part of the summer blockbuster season. That's what I was told back yeah. in the day. <laughs> I was told that the Rock Scorpion King, that came out in April. I was told that a year later it expanded it even further. So they just keep moving it back is what you're saying. Well, like yeah. the whole first half of the year is summer and then the last half of the year is Oscar season. I get it. Okay. And well, when Alice in Wonderland came out and made, and that movie made huge money. Love it or hate it. I don't really care for it. It made huge money. <laughs> And that was a March release. And ever since then, whether it's Oz the Great and Powerful, Batman v Superman, March. But that's the thing. You know? Generally, people are re- or studios are releasing mm, questionable movies. Yeah. Ones they're unsure of the box office. In the earlier portions of the year, when they're kind of uncontested. Right, exactly. So it's still a big release, but there's nobody else around to kind of and knock if it they down are contested, the it's weekend. from other films of questionable quality. And and yeah. exactly. So it's going to get really interesting here this year. Just general movie talk because May, first weekend, Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, Solo. Yep. The following week, Deadpool. Ah. Uh, Okay. Fox has got, excuse me, Fox (laughs) has got major stones moving up Deadpool. They actually moved it up to be closer to Solo. Oh, true. It boils down to this. It really doesn't matter when you release a movie Mm. on the calendar, as long as it is a well put together and good movie. And this was well put together, Mm -hmm. solid story, and a good movie. Timely message, too. But Disney has become kind of the king of holiday weekends because it's Black Panther. It's an all-African movie. It's going to be in Black History Month. They planned it out so well that it not only fell during Black History Month, it fell on a four-day holiday weekend during Black History Month. So no matter what, box office-wise, it gets credit for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, you get five days. You you get a full week almost <laughs> to include in your weekend box office. Oh, they're savvy. They, they know are, what they're, they're doing. They're very savvy. Yeah, and obviously, like if you if you've been watching social media, especially on Twitter, for me, I mean, uh, this film is playing as a very important release for the black community, right? Like I, I know that there was even a Kickstarter to get these underprivileged schools. They were, you know, mainly African-American students to a free screening. I've ever seen the film of all the kids dancing, they're getting ready to go, you know? And I, I was thinking that just like for me, I felt that Wonder Woman was a game changing movie that showed a female superhero can be noble, tough, non-sexualized, and then loved by all. And I felt the same with Black Panther is basically taking that step forward for, you know, the black superhero. And I, you know, I can't, can't say African-American in this case, because like you said, Jeremy, it's an African movie. This is not, you know, an African-American hero, but I feel like what we've gotten prior to this was comedic 90s garbage superhero stuff like Meteor Man. And no, Blank don't diss Robert Townsend. Don't. Hey, I own it on VHS. I saw it in theaters, but it was still <laughs> a goofy movie. Yeah, I have Shaq. Meteor Man. Don't worry about it. But Shaq oh. is Steel. You okay, know, yeah. Dump on but Steel. But I don't count no one loves like Steel. Blade 
or Michael J. White and Spawn or Halle Berry's Catwoman, Will Smith, oh. Hancock, all of that. Because those characters, they weren't dealing with cultural issues or race or anything. Yeah, Anybody could have played those parts. But uh, Can I say this, though? Hancock, the first half was perfect and the second half was awful. But did you guys notice too that Chadwick Boseman, I don't know if you've looked at his IMDb, he has played so many influential black leaders on film, people from like Thurgood Marshall to James Brown and Jackie Robinson. I mean, of course, he's going to be the premier African superhero as well, because he's already taken these real life characters and been, you know, that inspirational uh, portrayal of them. So I just think it's so interesting that now he's moving into this role. And really making a difference. I think, again, the same way that Gal Gadot is really uh, making a difference in her role as Wonder Woman being this ambassador. You know, I think it's pretty cool. Okay, so let's let's dive a little deeper here. Because I spent two years in West Africa as a missionary. And so a lot of this culture, the colors, the music, everything was very nostalgic to me. Even the accents. That's what I was going to ask. How did Andy Serkis do? <laughs> oh, no, Andy Serkis is fine. He's he's Andy Serkis. Like, he does his own thing, and it wasn't even really an African accent. That was more whatever he is. He sang a great <laughs> rendition of What is Love oh, by Hathaway, geez. and that made me forgive him. I was everything. doing the head bob, Night at the Roxbury. Yeah. I was getting my Roxbury on. <laughs> but that opening scene where Michael B. Jordan is standing in the museum, I was sitting there, and I was picking out things and going, oh, I've been there. And as she's labeling off, she's like, oh, this is from Ghana. This is from Benin. Been there. Been there. <laughs> been there. And so it was very interesting to kind of see that. And so as you were saying, Adam, the accents, I loved all of them except for Forrest Whitaker. Oh, dear. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, if you saw his accent in Arrival, you know he makes interesting choices, right? <laughs> yeah. Or Rogue One or... His screen time was so minimal, though. It, it doesn't really torpedo the film, you know? No, it doesn't. That's true. It doesn't. But it pulled me out... of the, Not the movie, but the scene. The scene, yes. It was laughable for me. I was laughing along because... I'm thinking through, I know exactly what he's going to say as he's saying it, but his enunciation of things just, his accent slipped so many times and changed every time he would say Black Panther or Black Panther. And I'm like, could they not get him to be consistent? Everyone else has very consistent accents. His was the only one that really threw me for a loop. Yeah, and I went into this expecting that. Surprisingly, I think because to Colton's point, he's so minimally featured. But I always dread Forrest Whitaker in a film because he draws so much attention to himself that he always distracts, just like we've been talking about. Like, so, you know, everything I've ever seen him in, I'm just like, oh, come on, guy. Can you just get, let the star be the star? You're the character actor. Just fulfill your scene. Get it over with, you know, unless it's Ghost Star. he's the hero. Across the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but again, I, I actually wasn't offended by his, uh, his portrayal or accent in this case, but obviously you being sensitive to that could understand. Absolutely. And you're paying attention. Plus you saw it twice. So you had more time to, uh, take it all in. And, and one comment on the accent. This is, I want to make sure, make it clear. This is not a complaint. This is just an advisory. 
this is not a film where the dialogue can just easily wash over you and you just sit there and just take it in. The accents make it so that you really have to pay attention and you really have to focus because it's really easy for stuff to slip by when it's being spoken in this thick accent. Yes, and I did mm -hmm. notice that because... uh, I picked up things in the second viewing that I missed the first time because I just was like... They spoke quickly in that thick <laughs> accent, and I, and I missed key things. Like, uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character, Wakabi, yeah. has a really interesting arc that I missed the first time because oh, of those very accents. very much. And I picked it up the second time. But he, him, spoiler alert, slowly getting radicalized. Because the first time, mm-hmm. I was irked by how quickly he turned on his king. And then on the second view, I realized, oh, it wasn't that quick. Here's a moment here where he's expressing doubt. Here's another moment here. Little moments that I missed because their, accent, their accents were so thick. It isn't like your typical dialogue where you just kind of sit there and hear it. You have to almost pull your ears open. Yeah, you have to kind of focus in. Yeah. Granted, I may have just been... I had the advantage going in because I, I was around that accent and I understand it and I feel the the intonations and things with it. And so I picked up on a lot of things. And so when I went back the second time, I went with a roommate. And there were times where he'd be like, what did he say? I'm like, you didn't hear it? (laughs) And it was just little, the little things. Some of them were little jokes that I didn't, that he didn't quite get. Uh, Did he freeze? Like an antelope in headlights. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There was also another one where normal people in talking would say, for God's sake. And I think it was T'Challa that said, for Bast's sake. You're not thinking about it. But Bast is their god, and thus that would be how they would say it. Right. That's what I just assumed. I'm like, I don't know this culture, <laughs> but I'm assuming that's the name of their god. Okay, this, Bast, this fits. This yeah, works. Bast is the panther god. It's just like Superman in the comics. It says, like, by Rao. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always right. Rao is the Kryptonian god, you know? So it's just... Smallville season nine, the book of Rao. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was so happy with, like, with that storyline you said that every single character's story had a satisfying resolution. No character was just there to be there and show up for a few scenes. Oh, we have to, we have to short the movie. We're going to edit this out. Like everybody got their moment, especially that the whole uh, Okoye and uh, what was his name again? You said the Wakabi. 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 Like the thread. They're like they're lovers who are at odds morally, then eventually physically, and are they going to kill each other over this? And the battle rhinos and yeah. <laughs> That was dangerously close to being comical, but I think it worked. But that's the thing. They they really threaded a lot of needles throughout this movie. T- like, the battle rhinos. Yes. Okay. Somebody <laughs> I I've been listening to a couple other reviews, just kind of seeing how people are taking it in. And they were like, Yeah, that that battle rhino, like, where the heck did it come from? And then one of his co-hosts was like they laid the groundwork for that early on when T'Challa went to the border tribe and was talking with Wakabi and is like, oh, is this him? He has grown. And it kind of planted the seed that mm-hmm. yeah. this rhino is going to come back into it somewhere. And if not, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> and to lick that girl in the face too. <laughs> and so, yeah. That, that is such a Marvel Studios moment. That's one of the things that um, angry fanboys complain about. The Marvel Studios is a little bit too... But it makes sense. It makes total sense that she would jump in front of it, and because... She's the general, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I'm referring to, is they feel that's a very unique Marvel Studios brand right there, and it annoys a lot of people. doesn't annoy me, 
but I understand why it annoys them. They yeah. they feel it hurts the seriousness of certain moments. But the, I think the writing, you can have jokes, but then you also, you know, or, you know, moments that kind of catch you off guard, you might laugh at because you're uncomfortable or not expecting but, but like it. Like Ego the Living Planet interrupting his own speech to say that he needs to go use the restroom in crew Yeah, terms. that, that you know, one right. was a little. You know, little just tons extreme. of things like that. <laughs> and in this film, maybe not as crude as that, but. They're having this heartfelt moment up in the mountains, and all of a sudden, the king, Bakus, is like, are you done? And, and of course, <laughs> the audience laughs. Are you done? The audience laughs again. And I'm just like, that's the Marvel Studios thing that it, it makes the general audiences happy, but it makes certain intellectual elites be like, this stuff yeah. is it's franchise fast food. Well, see, like, that that joke works for me, but then, you know, do not say another word or I'll feed you to my children. <laughs> we are vegetarians. That one went too far. So I want to lead into something here with, in the opening, the little kid asks someone to tell him Uh the story of home. Who is talking? I assumed it was T'Challa because we never hear later on the the young Killmonger call his dad Baba or anything like that. But we do hear T'Challa say it quite a bit. So I assumed it was just, this is T'Chaka teaching his son, you know, early in life. And then now we're catching up with him because it's such that father-son dynamic plays throughout the film. It's such an important thread in there. Right. Is that that what you guys took from it? So that intro story, the first time through... That's what I was thinking was this was young T'Challa talking to his father. And then things just didn't seem right as we progressed through the movie. And I was like, oh, something's not right there. And because we never heard that T'Challa like left home. And so it was just things didn't play out. And so the second time through, having had the whole backstory, mm-hmm. this is in Jadaka talking to his father in Jobu, who is cousin and uncle to T'Challa, when they're sitting in Oakland, the kid who grows up to be Killmonger, asking his father, tell me the stories of home. It makes his arc that much more relatable and heartbreaking. Right. I mean, they were very innocuous threads kind of laid out. Again, this movie is very well laid out. I feel, again, it's a very satisfying film to watch in many ways. There are some things in here after the fact, after having sat with it, that I I will bring up shortly that I need your guys' help to bring (laughs) me back around to loving T'Challa, to loving the nation of Wakanda, and not siding with the villain. Because there's a lot of elements in here. I want to talk about what we love first, but then I I gotta start dropping my bombs and uh and tell you about the plot holes that i found the things i was concerned with but i'm just curious because again getting back to chadwick boseman himself as t'challa i had a question for you guys i don't understand if the role of black panther the title of black panther is passed from king to king you have to go through the ceremony then you get the heart-shaped herb to get the powers why was he already the black panther in civil war before his father died and why did he obviously have enough powers to do an odd foot car chase yeah no 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 this is this is different there adam uh that could be the assumption going in is that the mantle of king is also the black panther black panther is the special ops protector of the king sometimes it is the king but when the king gets too old that he is unable to perform the protector duties of the black panther one of the other tribesmen battle it out, and whoever does win becomes the Black Panther. Okay. 
Because remember, they chided him for failing to protect his own father. So clearly that was yes. his charge. He clearly, I see. He, he clearly okay. had a mantle before his father passed away. And I think that mantle was the title of Black Panther. It was. Yeah, I think it's by seeing young T'Chaka as Black Panther, it throws you off. There, yeah. It creates a confusion. A little there. And also, bit, yes. now I'm thinking back, you're right. Before M'Baku challenges him, or when they're getting ready to battle, they take away his powers, right? Just like when they take away his powers way before he fights Killmonger. So he was fighting depowered. Is that correct? No. And they, they power him up. To that's, fight? Yeah, that's uh, the heart-shaped herb. And that is the, that is, we give because him. Because I thought, I thought the second time around with Killmonger, doesn't Forrest Whitaker say, you are now without the power of the Black Panther? No, no, no. It's oh. uh, because he is the king, we will give him the power of the Black Panther right away. And then any challengers would have to beat him at his best. Okay. I did not understand that. Yeah, because it was confusing to me because I felt like they were taking away his powers so he would be on the equal level of those that were challenging him. So, okay. That helps. Thank you for uh, well, clarifying and, that. And me. that also brings up some interesting potential things down the road because when Killmonger first takes over the throne, one of his things is to go to the land of the ancestors and then burns all of the heart-shaped herbs because he doesn't want there to be another king. Yeah. Now let me let me talk about this because Killmonger is set up as the villain in this film, right? So he is set up as the guy who's coming in. He's taking the throne. He's going to set Wakanda and the world into chaos. And it's up to T'Challa and his band and his family to overthrow this new monarchy because they're going to, you know, wreak havoc and all those things. But I, honestly, like, I look at Killmonger and I'm saying... Did he actually do anything wrong or criminal against Wakanda to make him worthy of prison or death? I mean, if you really look at it, not that I can see it. Well, okay, just in brief here, the best villains are actually the hero of their own story. Correct. So both your protagonist and quote-unquote antagonist are both the on a hero's journey uh, for their various points of view. And that is what makes Killmonger such a good villain is because he presents himself as such a hero fighting for a cause he believes to death in. Basically an African Magneto. I very much. Yeah, I'm going to make my defense plea for Killmonger. He challenged T'Challa and the challenge was accepted and that he won fairly, not even a cheap shot at all. He was just a better fighter. I was expecting there to be some sort of underhandedness when he was fighting, but you didn't get any of that. And then second, he didn't kill anybody in the kingdom except when he beat T'Challa. He's like, okay, I'm killing him. I'm done with him. But his, you know, his body markings, they're all a side of people he killed in his past life as a mercenary, which you might say, oh, well, he's a murderer. He's a bad guy. But he was a soldier for hire, paid by and fulfilling missions for governments. You know, he wasn't a serial killer out on the prowl. Who does he kill in this film? Well, he kills his girlfriend at one point. Okay, he's a bad guy, but she was a criminal. You know, she wasn't an innocent person per se. He kills Claw, which I totally was not expecting when he made that second shot and the scene cut. Right. I did 
not know that he was actually killing Andy Serkis's character. I totally expected him to show up in a, you know, one of the end credit scenes or something. I thought he was coming back and he did not. And then, you know, like you said, it was his right to burn the heart-shaped herbs and all of that to activate the war dogs. He was king. That's in his jurisdiction as monarch. You know, yes, it may have created chaos worldwide. It's going to expose Wakanda. But he didn't actually succeed. He was just mobilizing the forces he was in charge of. So we don't know. And in my mind, if anything, T'Challa's group is a clear case of sour grapes. You know, especially they go to Ubaku to overthrow Killmonger. Their side lost fair and square. You know, I agree with Okoye. You know, you should be loyal to Wakanda, not your family member or your boyfriend that you like better than the rightful king. You know, so in my case, you know, T'Challa and his group, I'm placing them as the villains in this film. I think that they are not acting honorably. I can see what you're getting at there, Adam. But on the same note, Wakanda has survived and thrived through isolation. And thus, with the way Killmonger is going about things, he is threatening the nation of Wakanda. He's going to turn it into something it's not. Well, of course, in his mind, he's saying we're protecting him because we're so strong. We can take anything and we're letting everybody know who we are and all those things. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little over the top, his his approach to it. But again, ultimately, that is a major thrust of the film. Should Wakanda be revealed? Should Wakanda be involved in world affairs and helping? And ultimately, the end credits scene, we do make that decision, right? That is what T'Challa decides to do. Right. So. So, you know, and again, he is technically opening up the same floodgates. Okay, so the two different forms of liberation, one could say. Killmonger wanted to liberate Wakanda by force and by death and war and weapons. T'Challa wanted to do the liberating of the world via liberating of the mind and helping them to help themselves. That's why in Oakland he didn't build a military base, he built an outreach center. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you guys. It just felt to me like, was it really right for them to say, well, we now we have to be this insurgent force and we should still be in charge. <laughs> we should still be in charge and we're going to take it back. Like that just that felt a little petty to me, but I know it was for the greater good. I understand that. But can I ask this too? Because again, I, I loved this movie. I enjoyed it so much. How did you guys feel about the character relationships? Because that's what I feel were exceptionally strong and well-written. You could feel the history immediately by the performances and the dialogue the way it was you know everybody was presented were there certain characters or character relationships you guys responded to more t'challa and shuri yes his scientist <laughs> yeah. princess scientist slash princess slash sister who is now um, a disney princess officially yeah. oh really well i mean yeah marvel is owned by disney oh. she's a princess of <laughs> yeah. her country i mean she yeah. is a disney princess Oh, Slash Warrior, too, because she was out oh, there yeah. fighting at the end. And spoiler alert down the road, in the comics, she becomes the Black Panther. Right. So Ooh. she becomes queen of That'd Wakanda. That'd be something if, the, the, I mean, when... the movies don't follow faithfully every iota of the comics, obviously. But no, that, but it's That'd be an potential. interesting avenue for them to try. Well, I, th- I thought she was great, too. Letitia Wright as Shuri, she really was the standout of the film. I thought it was so interesting that she was able to play, like you guys said, so many different roles within the film. Because 
because she's the teasing sibling, right? So she's like the younger yeah. sister that's going to jab at you. But she's also like the smartest person in Wakanda, technologically speaking. She's the one creating everything. Yeah, technically she is the smartest person in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now. Right, because Stark Tech has nothing on what she's putting together. And I love that she's basically in the Q role, right? Yes. We have that whole scene where she's laying out all the gadgets, the new suit, and all of that. What are those? <laughs> yes. I call them sneakers. But that kinetic pulse action of the new suit is awesome. Yeah, so those new suits that are the nanites, which, mm, spoiler, maybe that's how Tony does his bleeding edge suit in Infinity War? Just saying it might happen. Maybe in the, in the comics, wasn't that over. part of the extremist storyline? Again, they're yeah. just mixing stuff up. Yeah. So maybe there's some tech sharing going between the two. But yeah, the nanites stored within the necklace. And then, as you were saying, Adam, the, the kinetic storing and then expulsion of it was like over-the-top cool, set up in a very comedic way. Here, hit this. What did you do? I, I said hit it, not throw things around my lab. <laughs> she runs over and brings it back. Delete that footage. <laughs> Here's my question. So we know that Claw in Age of Ultron, right, got his arm cut off. So now he's got this technological arm, right, that has tech that he, when he's captured and he's being interrogated, says came from Wakanda. Look at the amazing things that came out of there. Who created that? Because that gets totally dropped. That is not pursued. Not necessarily there, Adam. I mean, I get he stole material 25 years earlier, but who made that? Right. Adam, so you know? yeah. when he stole the material, he stole that store of vibranium that he had, which Ultron then buys off the black market in Age of Ultron, cutting off his arm. And so he has no more vibranium at this point. Claw goes through and how he retrieved the vibranium was laid out in the film. He said it was an old mining tool That's from true, Wakanda right. that he retrofitted into okay. the sonic cannon. Yeah. Again, those thick accents, they hide wonderful secrets. Yes. <laughs> well, because they kept cutting to the arm, just sitting on a desk. And I was like, are they going to make a big deal about this at some point? And you're right. I do remember that line now that you said he converted it. So that again, that clarifies some things for me. Too, yeah, so I've seen it, it twice. Like and I still miss that. <laughs> I mean, I just took it for granted. I'm like, okay, he stole stuff from Wakanda. And it took him 25 years to figure out what to do with it. I'll just leave it. Yeah. Speaking of Claw, while we're on it, I'm glad he was not the big bad in the film. Because I don't think that would have played. Like, in the comics, he's the one who kills T'Chaka. So that's why he's Black right. Panther's arch enemy. But as we know, in this case, it was Zemo and Civil War. So really had nothing to do with it. Claw's just a, a black market dealer of vibranium. king because of Mission Report, December 16th, <laughs> yeah. 1991. Yeah. And what was interesting was in this movie, we got the big three Black Panther villains all within the same movie, expertly done without having Spider-Man 3. An amazing Spider-Man 2 situation. Right. Yeah. Mbaku, he was a major villain back in the comics, uh, always a constant threat to the throne. 
then you also had Claw and, of course, Killmonger. You know, going back to you know, Ryan Coogler and the whole situation of Creed, right? I feel like Ubaku's kind of the Apollo Creed, right? First, he's the, the one who's kind of the antagonist. <laughs> he's the one coming, he's challenging you. But then he becomes your greatest ally, you know, at a certain point. Kind of like Michael Clark Duncan's character in the first Scorpion King movie. At first, at first he's trying to kill the rock, and then he's like, I'm going to join you in your armies and help lead you to victory. All right, who dies first? <laughs> um, but I loved their warrior chant. I mean, I, gosh, I hope Honest Trailers. <laughs> I hope Honest <laughs> Trailers touches on it, where they, they show that group, and under the starring section, they write, Who Let the Dogs Out? Because it, yeah. it sounded like uh, at any moment they were going to start singing <laughs> a little bit. So, real quick, getting back to the James Bond thing, you know, we talked about Shuri as Q. I loved that Korean casino scene where it's basically black James yeah, Bond, right? It is. They would talk about Idris Elba to take over for Daniel Craig for years. Give it to Chadwick Boseman, dude. Because take notes, so Canto Bite. <laughs> yeah. He's so good. Also, again, giving these women these really hardcore warrior roles was really awesome because they were excellent throughout. And they had multi-levels. You know, they weren't just silent. Kind of like, you know, in Civil War, that brief moment where he has his guard with him and she has the stare down with Black Widow, you know, that you feel like, oh, they're just like strong, silent type. No, they have Lots or you will be you moved. Know. Right. Her well, name's kinda... Akoye, right? Am I Akoye, saying Akoye, yeah. Akoye. The way she, when the car blew to pieces and she just sailed through the air with her spear and oh, just landed yeah. gracefully and was just <laughs> riding along with sparks. What a great classic Hollywood moment, you know? Great car chase scene. You think you've seen it all? Why did I throw a spear through the back <laughs> windshield and the front windshield and then it's going to stick right at the right angles or go down a hill and crash <laughs> the car? when she first got out of the car and was holding her spear and it's compact form yeah for a split second because they were responding to the machine gunfire they were receiving i'm like right is she gonna blow a blow dart gun on them that'd be so <laughs> awesome to take on machine gun guys and take them out with a blow dart but alas so how did you guys feel that agent ross changed between this and civil war considering that from what i got from the film it seems like only a week or so has gone by from the beginning it's been of this a week one. yes yeah because, you know, the news reports and everything, that makes it very clear that the King Chaka's death was very recent. Yes. I'm not going to have a news report on something that happened a year ago and talk about it like it's happening for the first time. Also, on that note, what did they do for a funeral? <laughs> like, they had a body. Did they not do any sort of ceremonial burial? He wasn't brought back with them. Like, all of this happened. Know. Yeah, as far as we know. And T'Challa hasn't been back home since. Maybe it all happened off screen, you know? Ah, it must have. No, it was have. a private family ceremony, uh, 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 none of your business. Yeah, and, and I'm sure they, <laughs> I'm sure this film already has so many heavy themes going through it. Well, I don't think course. they want to start with a downer, like a funeral. No. You know? And to get to your question about the agent, gosh, I want to call him Agent Freeman. That's, <laughs> that's the actor. Right. But, yeah. Which, um, I hope. Agent Ross. Yeah, Agent Ross. There we go. Because uh, really, the only main white characters are Andy Serkis, who played Gollum, and Martin Freeman, who played Bilbo. The Tolkien white <laughs> Exactly. Guys. That's the joke I've been seeing, and I love that joke. But anyways, he seemed very prideful in Civil War, and even and especially prideful at the beginning of this. It was nice seeing him get humbled by having the people call him the colonizer and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that was funny. And having Shuri save his life and entrust some of her tech to him. It just seems like he gets a nice lesson in humility by being the white hired gun as opposed to being the white hero. Although he does have a great Top Gun moment, yeah. I gotta tell you. Well, because looking at his character arc, one could say is when he's with the CIA and everything, he's the one that's calling the shots. And he ends up taking a bullet 
to protect someone, and then he's out of his element the rest of the movie. Like, he's seeing things he's never seen, trying to comprehend everything, all in the midst of, oh, we need to run or you're dead. <laughs> it's such a great contrast to the way he was at the end of Civil War, where he's like, uh, you have bathroom breaks twice a day. You get two meals a day. Scratch the glass, zap. Speak too loudly, zap. You step out of line, you deal with me. Please, step out of line. Hmm? Yeah. To see him go from that, he's dealing with a country he virtually didn't know existed 24 hours earlier. And he's right. got to help save it, and he's got to be in the back seat to do his part. Martin Freeman is the weakest character in the film for me. That, that's fine. Wow. But, but that's really, fine. really, his fish out of water stuff for me was not funny. I thought his moment of heroism was very forced and lame and tacked on. Really? I did think it was the Top Gun stuff was a little bit tacky, but it still made me laugh. Well, <laughs> Unintentionally. It too much bit. of the dogfight in Guardians 1. I mean, it was just like, okay, we're going to see some spaceships flying around, and you're shooting at him and targeting him. And yes, he's going to sacrifice himself. That's noble. But this man is no Agent Coulson, okay? Because he has no character traits. He has no Canadian cellist ex-girlfriend history. To, to make jokes about no Captain America trading cards. I mean, Ross is just a blank. I mean, I, I actually didn't even realize he was an actual character from recent Black Panther comics, who's pretty important in there until I was doing research for the show. But like Martin Freeman is just, he's boring to me. And I, I feel like he's just, I'm hard-nosed agent. That's my job. Like you say, maybe he's getting a little humbled by seeing what Wakanda can do. But yeah. I just, I did not enjoy his moment of, talking to Shuri, oh, this is amazing, everything you have here, like all that stuff. It just, I don't know. It, it, He didn't play well for me at all. He just felt like, why is he in this movie? Why did we, we didn't need a point of view character to introduce us to the wonders of Wakanda because they kind of showed them to us already. And T'Challa said it best when they were flying in. This never gets old. Speaking of which, how did you guys feel about the design of Wakanda? Was it impressive or did it feel at this point like just, you know, okay, here's a new world we have to show to you with a bunch of towers and we fly in because to me it felt like okay it's asgard and it's a little bit of sakar close uh, sakar i felt vibes of sakar when i was flying in there but i still saw some of that african influence skinned on top of it and that made the difference for me did you guys notice the building that had the circular discs around it of the spire to be the the capital records building i don't know if you guys know much about <laughs> la uh <laughs> architecture no. and the skyline, but the Capitol Records building is pretty famous, and I know that's what they put that in there for. Oh, <laughs> so I was like, potentially. Well, wait for the Blu-ray commentary on that one. Yeah. In regards to Ross, I enjoyed it. He was there to be the fish out of water, but I guess more in his backstory is layered enough, kind of laying the groundwork for future. I see him being an early thread for Captain Marvel. Hmm. Here's why. It's only revealed to us in this movie that he was former... Air Force. Yeah. Who was also Air Force? Carol Danvers. Mm. Carol Danvers, who becomes Captain Marvel. So I do believe he's going to take, I can't say exactly a Nick Fury role, but he's a connecting source to that 1990s set movie coming up with Captain Marvel in it. Also, his his heroic, like, I'm going to sacrifice myself and put me back in. You know, he didn't know if it was going to last or if he was going to figure it out. And we as the audience didn't. 
So after all, Claw we thought was going to be in there for the long run to see him right? die. Yeah, knows who else is going to go out the window. Okay, well, you know, again, I I think that's very interesting, and I hope he develops more. But again, that was like the only thing we know about him. He, he, used he to also be Air served. Force. He served one more purpose, and that was to show just how much, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, how much contempt those tribes had for white people. The fact that they call, they went out of their way to call him the colonizer, even when he tried to speak politely to King Mubaku, Mubaku was like. Woof. Just cutting him off, not letting him speak. And he served that purpose. He was Tokyo White Guy who helped bring out the contempt that otherwise those tribes would never have shown. Because really, the only other racial animus that you actually see in that film is from Killmonger. Ryan Freeman's character shows you that it's not just Killmonger. All right. Well, here's my second controversial statement of the night, because I thought that Michael B. Jordan was awesome as Killmonger. I loved his American bravado pitted against the nobility of this African monarch and all those things. I thought that was a great uh, way to, to pit characters against each other. But his death scene, that death monologue to me does not ring true. And again, I'm asking you guys to poke holes in this for me, but his line was essentially, you know, T'Challa says, let me take you back. We'll, we'll get you healed. He says, what? So you could lock me up? My ancestors who jumped off ships knew it was better to die free than live in bondage. Okay. Now, I know that's a statement about slavery, but the comparison is not one to one. It does not make sense. First of all, he's not being taken as a slave. He would be a prisoner and maybe a criminal, depending on how you look at it, like we discussed. But he's a prisoner. Second, his captor is an African king, not a white slave trader. So it just doesn't work. There were black slave traders. There were black slave mm-hmm. owners. Slavery has crossed just about every major civilization since mankind began it is not for lack of a better term black and white the issue it's even the irish were slaves so yeah but do you really think that they were calling upon that history in that statement i mean i i just to me i i just looked at i guess it's you know he could be making a statement about all slavery in general but i just did not feel that that's what the screenwriters were going for and that's why when he said that i was just like Oh, I see what you're doing. I believe they picked the word bondage very carefully because it can mean both imprisonment and being enslaved. It can go both ways. It really can. Okay, so good. Think, good, good work, guys. <laughs> I, I think that's why he, they chose that particular word. Yes. And Ryan Coogler, trust me, because of that first post credit scene, I can tell he knows what he's doing when he's picking words that are potentially politically charged. Can, can we go ahead and talk about that first post credit scene? Yeah, Adam's already touched on it briefly, but... Uh, throughout the film, Nakia, she her role to me was very critical because she helped inspire T'Challa to realize, obviously we don't want Wakanda to go to war with everybody, but we need Wakanda to reveal itself so it can do more. Yes, and so her position within Wakanda is she is one of the war dogs, yeah. which are essentially secret spies sent out amongst all the world. To very covertly gather information, but also help if possible. Yes. She, she was helping with a human trafficking problem. Is that correct? They weren't yeah. very explicit about that, I felt. Yeah, there was a lot of kidnappings. She's the Batman of Africa. <laughs> you know, she's out there in the jungle saving people, you know, stopping bad guys. Yeah. So in that first post credit scene, uh, he finally, between the mistakes his father made and the advice he got from Nakia T'Challa's like I'm ready for Wakanda to reveal itself to the world and that's what the whole scene is did you catch that dig in there where he says in times of crisis the wise build bridges and the fools build barriers 
Did anybody catch that? Yeah. I did not, but I see where you're yeah. Ryan Coogler <laughs> knew exactly what he was doing when he had T'Challa say that. I think. And Coogler has come out and said that was within the script long before any politician began promoting said thing. Wow. So it's a Dark Knight Rises situation. Yeah, I was thinking like the, the exact same thing, thing just now. Yeah. On purpose. Yeah. How much of the Dark Knight Rises critiques the Occupy movement before the Occupy movement even came to be? Yeah. Like beat for beat. So, okay, and and doing that, now, why did that scene become a a mid-credit scene rather than a continuation of the outreach center scene? Yeah, the end uh, of the movie. I like the actual happened. end yeah. of the movie. It's just that scene of that kid looking up at Black Panther and saying, who are you? That's really meaningful because of the phrase representation matters. Right, throughout all the movie. I mean, the filmmakers, and we won't even get into Sinbad I, I can either. tell. <laughs> I can tell the filmmakers are proud of what they have accomplished here. And they wanted, be. they needed to have that be kind of a curtain moment of having that small black child who is in need of encouragement, who's in need of uh, somebody to look up to, to have him literally look up at T'Challa and say, who are you? That was the perfect moment, I think. Okay. But then they also have T'Challa do his own impression of, I am Iron Man. He doesn't go that far. He doesn't go that far. Uh, we don't know where he continued with uh, that uh, sentence. Uh, it would have been too much to imitate that 100%, but I got that exact same vibe. You know what I mean? I don't feel it was ripped off. I mean, because technically he did it in the Civil War, right? I mean, as soon as he was arrested, he took off his helmet and he showed everybody who he was. Well, you know? like, yeah. It's been I, done. I, yeah, I, <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, the that one was all right. I just saw it as it should have been part of the actual movie. It because it, it, it's it's such a big scene. It really is when it happens. You're like, oh yeah, okay, this is important. If people walked out right as the credits started rolling, they yeah. missed something essential. My heart breaks for those film. people who walked out as yeah. soon as the first cut to the credits began. However, looking to the future for Wakanda and I think our lucky stars. This is just unprecedented in film history. Here we are. We've been introduced to Wakanda. I take it the three of us enjoyed what we saw. We get to go back in two and a half months for infinity war how cool yes. is that huh yeah we don't have to wait deep. just think about it uh, even though thor the dark world wasn't that great i was so hyped to find out what happens next with what loki was doing we had to wait four <laughs> years to find uh, out what happened next with loki for wakanda we don't have to wait that long to go back two and a half months y'all how cool is that they were talking a little bit about the meaning of refugees in this film did you hear that topic come up oh, yes. more than once? What do you think they the odds are? They touched on all sorts of political issues. And it was Wakabi mm. himself who said... Yeah. You they take bring in... their problems with them. Right. You yeah. take in these refugees and they bring their problems with them. So that has me wondering because I got a little bit of a, wow, beautiful, far-off place Asgard vibe. Even though I don't think it really looks like Asgard, I just got that Asgard feeling. What do you want to bet that at some point... Wakanda is going to take in refugees from the recently destroyed Asgard. Interesting. Potentially. Well, if any survive. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you see the Infinity War trailer? Right? <laughs> Thanos' ship. The fact that Thor had to be picked up out in the middle of nowhere that's, by the Guardians. That's for another show, yeah, like the theory <laughs> show. I know, but, but, I'm, but I'm thinking they're setting it up that. so that Wakanda is going to take in some Asgard refugees, and I think that'd be pretty cool. But I think that's where T'Challa decided to go the outreach centers. Mm -hmm. Rather than bringing refugees to Wakanda, let's bring the supplies, the support, the knowledge to the people and have them learn and help themselves. Those, those people where already they are. technically have homes. Asgard does not have a home. The Asgardians don't have a True. home, so. I think it would be ideal to have them come and... Well, wherever them. they are is Asgard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that... Uh, <laughs> what's the term I'm looking for? Platitude? 
Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about one more, I guess, someone without a home at a certain point here? Again, because I did feel like this was almost Killmonger's movie. Um, I, I want to understand from you guys, you know, one of the big threads of this was that uh, you know, it's the opening of the movie, right? It's set in 1992 in Oakland, and we see T'Chaka confronting his brother, again, who is taking radical means to provide people what uh, Colton was just talking about, you know, the means to take care of themselves and all those things. And he is a war dog, you know, who's placed, and he's ready to kind of activate, do some outrageous things, and tries to kill young Forrest Whitaker, played by Forrest Whitaker's son, right? No, uh, no, 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 no. Same, okay, same last name, same droopy eye, but they are not related. No way! That's yeah, crazy. they are not related. What are the odds? But... Yeah, <laughs> there is a relative relation in that in that scene. The guy playing T'Chaka is the actual son of the guy who plays old T'Chaka. Whoa! No, so he really looks like him. They didn't wow. just do an amalgamation no, digitally. No, okay. no, they brought in That's his cool. actual son, who I believe is an African actor, to play his father. T'Chaka's, That's pretty amazing. Old Chaka's droopy eye. That kind of took me out of the scene. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You called a yeah. lot of attention to itself. They shot it very differently in Civil War, where yes. I did not notice it at all. I, yeah. I, I was just. Well, like, he was wearing glasses in Civil War. That's and that, I had yeah. just recently seen the Cloverfield Paradox. You know, did you see that? No. There's a scene with a similar eye issue, and I'm just like, there have been too many derpy memes over the years for that to be taken seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, but but getting back to that. So the question is: so obviously, you know, there's this struggle. T'Chaka has to kill his brother, and then they just take off and they leave young Killmonger there. I can't pronounce his actual name, but uh, he they leave him there, and he now grows up. They say these harsh, this harsh life he had to live. They say, you know, obviously he had a mother because that's you know, uh, but we don't know if she's in the picture or not, uh, and. Eventually, T'Challa confronts his ancestors, talks about we can't keep Wakanda hidden, that was wrong, tells his father point blank, you know, it was wrong, you know, the wrong choice, you know, for you to try to cover that up. He admits I made a bad decision, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, I cannot even comprehend because in my mind, I'm this king. I just killed my brother. Yes, it's stressful, all those things. But I know I have a nephew down there who is going to grow up with anger and hatred and fear and all these things. Why am I not taking him with me to Wakanda, the home of his ancestors, training him, helping him deal with his grief and all those things and bringing him up as a noble, strong you know, person Despite this tragedy, your father made a bad decision in a moment and tried to take a life. I had to stop him type thing. Like, I just I can't understand. I I know narratively it had to be this way. But I for such a wise person to do that really doesn't sit well. So thinking about this narratively, I don't think he understood that his nephew knew all that he did about where his father came from and his real origins, nor that he he had the the Wakandan lip tattoo, the key to his return. I don't think he understood all of that. And so he based his game time decision on, well, he doesn't know about where we come from, what we are, so let's leave him. We had to leave 
and let the lie live, essentially, is what they were doing. Which, poor decision on his part. Like, he didn't know exactly what connections were there, what connections were made. And the fact that his nephew understood that it was panther claws in his father's chest. Yeah, I, I just feel like... like it- even even if that moment, you know, he didn't know those things, he made those decisions. I feel like you go back, you send another war dog in the area, check on this kid, which I'm sure they did. Why could they not talk to him later before he got into trouble or as he's a teenager getting into trouble and save him, you know, from this life that, that he ended up getting into? And like, just he is a living embodiment all, of know, their shame. Like, I'm sure they wanted to completely forget he even existed. I guess so. In it's a just way, that I far bet they did. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That, that, that one, I was just like, Oh, it's just, it's he, that is a villainous move to me. Like that vilifies the chaka. And, and, and I missed this the first time I caught it the second time when Forrest Whitaker intervened to save in, yes. in the middle of the ritual fight. He's like, take me instead. And he goes, I'll take both of you. Uncle James. He says it so quickly. I missed it. He called him uncle James. Yes. What a knife in the ribs. Uncle James right before he dies. So I, and Not the even thing his real was, name, the alias that he worked on. Right. It was, it, they were the only ones who knew of this child. Nobody in Wakanda knew it was the king and his war dog, Zuri, who was sworn to secrecy. So they had to just keep living it out, which obviously is poor choice. I mean, you're creating your own demons. This is kind of Tony Stark in Iron Man 3. He created his own arch enemy by the choices he made. Except for this one isn't on T'Challa. It's on T'Chaka. It's the sins of the father coming forth and bearing fruit in front of the children. So, yeah, it was it was an interesting conundrum of sorts. Yeah, I mean, it's what makes this movie so fantastic. I mean, the the shades of gray and all of that. Like, it 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 plays so well. Like I said, I'm upset about it, but that's good. I sh- there should be that conflict and that discussion and that emotion, and they brought that out in such a way. Like, you know, I brought up the things that that didn't sit well for me, but it's it, the film is so much more entertaining for all those discussions that come out of it. So I I think it's they should be very proud of themselves for what they accomplished, and I think it's also interesting because you know this movie's getting made now uh, all the better for it because i think there are probably some people that are aware of this but me as a kid having grown up in the 90s reading wizard magazine you know this movie almost got made in the 90s with wesley snipes in the lead role you know this is pre-blade wesley snipes he was hot on the heels of making a black panther film and he just couldn't get it through all the people at Hollywood. Like they all thought it was a sixties black power movement film about that group. (laughs) Hollywood is not the open-minded place. They'd like you to think they are. George Lucas told a really awful story on uh, the daily show. Uh, The last film he produced before he turned Lucasfilm over to Disney. We're talking mere months before the deal went down. This is 2012. He made a film called red tails. I don't know if you've seen it. I enjoyed it. Uh, about a group of black pilots during World War II who totally, for lack of a better phrase, kick ass. I mean, it was it was awesome. They were awesome. Um, anyways, the studios kept telling him, oh, no, we don't want to make that. We, we don't think anybody wants to see a film where, where uh, black men save the day. And 
this, this they told him this in this decade. Yeah. And I was just taken aback. I was like, wow. At the same time, like that was what was interesting because he said even African-American directors like John Singleton and people like that, and they were the ones who still couldn't get it through their heads. He's like, no, no, no. Africa is always being presented as this poverty-stricken continent. That's the only Africa you see on film. I want it to be sci-fi and grandiose and beautiful Africa, Wakanda, this amazing you know, nation within a nation type thing. Wesley Snipes said, has a sweaty nerd side. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Apparently, yeah. We, we always think of him as Passenger 57, but he's got this sweaty nerd side that's just awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just something that I, also the special effects, everything else they were imagining, everything was going against the film at the time. And I, I know he he's in this recent interview where he explained all this. He said, you know, he wishes them the best. But I think it's great that it, it is something that had to wait. It's almost like the Spider-Man film that was going to be made in the late 80s, early 90s. We should be thankful that it waited. Yeah, that Sam was Rain. the tagline, the event film of the 80s yeah <laughs> just a really enjoyable film like you guys seeing it twice if i could have i probably would have because i i was even just explaining a bit of it to my wife she's like stop 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 i really want to see this movie so don't <laughs> tell me anymore so i mean i think it's hitting everybody in a great way it's... yeah you need to find a sitter and go back with her and watch it so what else in this movie jumped out at you are there any particular scenes when he did that big jump out in the grassy field and the shockwave just sent all the enemies flying. I just, I'm sorry, I love that moment way too much. When he jumped over the shields. He jumped over yeah. their shields, landed on the ground, and the resulting shockwave from his suit just sent them all flying in every direction. Adam? I, I really did love that moment where you know, the whole battle is taking place. So when the Jabari all come up and everybody's battling and just that moment, uh, you know, of the two of them facing off, you got a Okoye and uh, Rakabi. Yeah, the lovers. Yeah, when the lovers are battling. I mean, that one just like really stood out to me. And they're both kind of making their points and then looking over at a war taking place right beside them and saying, is this really what we wanted? And then the man bows down before the woman. What a powerful yeah. moment, huh? It was really cool. Also, when the three red, I don't know what they are. I guess they're just royal guards but that Okoye is in charge of. The Dora Milaje. Yeah, when the three of them were taking him on and he first suits up in his Black Panther suit. I thought that was really cool, too. How about for you, Jeremy? It was a lot of eye candy for me. The river battle, the ceremonial battles. I like the guy with the disc lip and his Riddler suit. I was like, what is that? That green suit every time they cut to him. Of the River Tribe, yeah. Yeah. Black Frank Gorshin. <laughs> and also just the aesthetics of it really were really nice. And I'm glad that they worked so closely. Ryan Coogler did with the Russos for Infinity War. They collaborated a lot so that Wakanda will look consistent across the two movies because we're going to see a lot of Wakanda, at least a gigantic battle. If you thought this battle was big, even bigger coming in Infinity War. Basically, I went back and watched Civil War on Blu-ray and I was just jumping to all the scenes uh, with Chadwick Boseman in them. And, and the Russos were talking about how intertwined all these directors are now. He's like, we're really good friends. We have like these long text threads. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool that it is like this real community among the Marvel Studios people now. It's not like, oh, I'm doing my thing here and you you figure out your way, but don't mess with mine. You know, it's like, no, we we're working together. So yes, they're allowed to do their own thing, but they do collaborate so that things look consistent. Based on timeline here, like we had Civil War and 
Spider-Man Homecoming picked up as we dropped off Peter Parker from the battle in Germany. So the full Civil War hadn't even finished when Spider-Man picked up, uh, kicked off. This picks up seven days after the death of his father. Ant-Man and the Wasp are taking place shortly after the events of Civil War, even though it's coming out after Infinity War. It's taking place right after Civil War, leading up to Infinity War. And so they all have to kind of be on the same page because timeline-wise, they're all happening kind of at the same time. Like, we thought it was it was a big thing when we had Fury's big week when Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, and Thor all happened in the same week. We're having five, six, seven movies that are all taking place relatively within the same week. And then not only Infinity War happening, you also have the fourth Avengers, which is going to be essentially a continuation. Mm-hmm. And pick they were up filmed where... together on the same schedule. Originally. No, no, it's still back-to-back. You know right, what I mean? back-to-back. They, they divided it, it so that The original could... plan was, you know, yeah. they were going to intersperse the scenes. That's not the case anymore. But still, it was simply the moment they finished Avengers 3, they immediately went into Avengers 4. You know what I mean? Same, still, oh, yeah. still the same production schedule, but still curated. So a little different, yeah. yeah. So, Adam, what did you think uh, going into this about a soundtrack put together by Kendrick Lamar? Well, the answer is, since I'm so stuck in the 80s and 90s, if you look at my iPod <laughs> playlist, I was like, huh? Uh, no, I, I, I've heard his name, but I could not tell you a Kendrick Lamar song. So I know you set me up for that. <laughs> I did, no. kind of, because... Going in, I was kind of worried about it because I was worried it was going to be too stereotypical with a black sounding soundtrack, lots of rap, lots of hip hop. And it kind of wasn't. Yeah, not at all. The trailer was, but this was not. Yeah. If anybody had the the rap music and the hip hop playing, it was Andy Circus's gang, right? Claw pulls up in their entourage. <laughs> right, and I'm like, right. what? Talk about dropping his album on SoundCloud. <laughs> What's going on? But the music actually surprised me with how, not conservative it was, but it was very African-inspired. And I thoroughly enjoyed that. Because we spent so much time in Wakanda, the soundtrack played to that perfectly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it, it inspires reverence. That final post credit scene. The man in the tent. Yes. Can we? Can we... White Wolf. Yeah. We got a lot of one-armed men in this universe. That's <laughs> yeah. all I could say. <laughs> yeah. This ain't Star Wars, folks. It makes me feel even more impressed by Shuri than before that she was able to basically, it looks like, fixed Bucky. Yes. So let me get There's into a this a little comic, bit. prequel comic, right? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Marvel's been doing this a lot. It's essentially a prequel comic. It's the road to whatever movie they're on. Mm-hmm. And they'll kind of fill in some of the gaps things that the movie won't expressly touch on and fill in enough to kind of give us a better point of view heading into this movie and beyond. And so in that comic, they found that the Wakandan design group, which Shuri is the head of, has found a way to remove the programming from Sergeant Barnes, and they've since got him back on the road to recovery. And so part of that is... Well, it's kind of tough because in the comics, there's a character called White Wolf. Mm -hmm. And he was head of the 
Wakandan police, the secret police force. I think they're rolling those two characters together. Either that or it could have been a throwaway joke, like calling John it, it Blake Robin been. at the end of Dark Knight Rises. You it know? could have been. Because the children were just kind of running around giggling and saying White Wolf. But at the, on the same note, where else is Barnes Anna actually, actually a free man? Because based on the governments of the world, he's an assassin, a wanted and known assassin. He worked for a Nazi death cult. Yeah, or worked for Hydra. Yeah. So I see this as a big step to where he'll take on the head security role there in Wakanda and potentially take on the Captain America role down the road if if they so choose to let him pick up the shield. But yeah, my theater, the air was sucked out of it when he walked out of that tent and everyone recognized him. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's Winter Soldier. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh no, another white guy. <laughs> and he wasn't in any Tolkien stories. What, what's up with yeah. that? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so two post-credit scenes, pretty good. N- nothing for the history books. Adam, what are your final thoughts on this? Well, like I said, I came into this show a little conflicted. I came in like I, I had such a fun time at the movie and then overthinking it after the fact and saying, oh, was, was I really on the right side? Was I just enjoying T'Challa and rooting for him because he was my point of view character? But you guys have smoothed out a lot of stuff for me. You've opened my eyes. You've made it all clear to me that uh, – we do support T'Challa, Black Panther. He's earned the role. He's going to do some good in the world. Um, but seriously, I really felt this movie was well-written, well-executed, you know, among the top-tier Marvel films. So I honestly can now say, you know, I give this a nine, and I say, Wakanda forever! Colton, where do you say? My first viewing was a seven out of ten because I felt really dragged during that first hour. But upon seeing it again today, I'm going to go ahead and bump it up to an eight. And I think it's going to stay at an eight. Jeremy. I fall at a nine on this one. Kevin Feige came out and when he first watched the final cut, stood up and said, this is the best film that we, meaning Marvel, has ever made. And I stand by that. It is the best made Granted, the CGI does leave more to be desired. Yeah, the Panther but... versus Panther fight scene was a little, little computery. Yeah. yeah, the rhinos were a little computery. <laughs> well, that was going to be obvious. Yeah. No rhinos were harmed in the filming of this movie. Uh, but I stand by this is definitely in the top third of Marvel movies. Do you think he's going to shop it around for Best Picture next year? Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, as we wrap up the show tonight, just want to remind you that you can find us and all of our episodes over at our home on the web, sequelquestpod.com, and also a little update on the audio version. You may have a little trouble, but we're trying to negate as much of it as possible. We are moving from SoundCloud over to Podbean, and we're hoping that we can get this transition correct so that it doesn't affect your feeds where you get your podcasts. 
everything will be dropped and adjusted shortly. So if you don't hear from us for a little while, hit us up on Twitter at SQPod and we will try to send you a link on how to adjust your feed or refresh it. So until next time, Wakanda forever! enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast sequel quest where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises find sequel quest on itunes soundcloud or at sequelquestpod.com now